I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hello and welcome to Owl Pellets. The entire gang is here. We got Mike Ritalik over there and Becky Haddad over there and I am Brian Myers and we are excited today to have with us some of our good friends and colleagues from the Pennsylvania State University, Kendra Flood and Kevin Curry. Kendra and Kevin, welcome to Owl Pellets. Thank you. Good to be here. So to get us going today, uh, Kendra, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then, then Kevin, you can do the same. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Kendra Flood. I'm currently a graduate student at Penn State University. I'm studying agriculture and extension education. And when I'm not on campus, I'm usually enjoying Happy Valley and everything that they have to offer. And I'm Kevin Curry. I finished my doctoral work at North Carolina State University. I'm an assistant professor of agricultural education at Penn State, starting on year five. We will not count years for the rest of us. Some of us have very large numbers uh, that we'll, we have lost track of, but uh, it is so good for you all to be here with us today. And we are going to talk about something that all ag teachers and really all of us like to talk about. Um, show me the money. It's not exactly, you guys talk about a little bit else, but Kendra, tell us a little bit about the topic for today. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about extended contracts. The study that I did was looking at the perceptions of Pennsylvania agriculture teachers on extended contracts and whether they perceive them to be beneficial to them and their program. That's awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you uh, found and kind of the questions that you were looking at when you were talking about extended contracts, because we're all we're always interested in uh, where we can pick up a few extra dollars. Yeah, so to begin with it, when looking at this study, why it began was I'm originally from Illinois and they have the three circle grant. And so if a teacher wants an extended contract, they just have to get their district on board and they pay half and the state pays half and you have an extended contract. But in the state of Pennsylvania, it's different. There's no state grant or state mandate for extended contracts. So we first looked at what extended contracts the teachers were on just to get an idea if our teachers were on extended contracts and then what they would look like and then whether they perceived it to be beneficial to themselves, to their programs. And more importantly, was an extended contract going to help with recruitment and retention within our cultural education? Since the profession, as we all are saying, there's a shortage of teachers. And so looking at maybe if an extended contract could be a way to help relieve this issue within re recruitment and retention. That's really cool. And, uh, and you found some really cool stuff out, right? Yeah, we did. Learn. Yeah, we found out that they do say that extended contracts seem beneficial to them and their program. And mostly because the extended contract covers two pieces of the three circle model with SAE and FFA. And a lot of them said that the extended contract is what really pushes them to do the SAE since a lot of that has to be continued throughout the school year. You know, FFA is fun. That's the stuff that they enjoy to do. The classroom is fun. And then those SAE visits, trying to get them in and justifying it to the administrators, they needed that extended contract. 
I think that's a that's a great observation because as, as we take a look at other research, um, SAE, you know, certainly seems to kind of tail off and is kind of the third leg of that stool, if you will, <clears throat> and uh, maybe might be a little bit shorter at times uh, when it comes to commitment and focus. But uh, it, from your work, the the research and, and what you found was that uh, this extended contract time really allowed them kind of that focus and that opportunity to um, um, dedicate more time and commitment to SAE. And, and, and I think even if we think about it from an agricultural standpoint, a lot of times more of the SAE type work and experiences are going to kind of transition over into that extended contract period time. Yeah, I agree. And it, it allows some justification for their families as well. A big thing that stood out between the focus group participants, they said that with their families and just fine to their husbands or wives, if they're getting paid for it, they're more understanding. So having that extended contract allows them that personal justification as well. So getting into the details a little bit and, and probably back up. So how did you guys define extended contract and what, what's that mean in, in uh, Pennsylvania to those teachers? Yeah, so Pennsylvania from the literature review that I had didn't have a set extended contract definition. And so then I looked to other states to see how they defined it. And I mostly use North Carolina and Georgia's definition of an extended contract. So that's just a period of time outside of your general contract of whether that's a nine to 10 month. And then it could be a hourly time or a day time. So they, some of them, some of the states measured it by a eight hour day. And so they got paid by hour or they got paid by an, a general day or stipend. And the data that, that Kendra found here is that it's sort of a smorgasbord across our state because it's all locally controlled. And so every, every local district and school draws up their own idea what that looks like, which is paid by an a equally diverse assortment of funds and how that's distributed. So, um, in some ways that's good for the ag teacher because there's a lot of room for sort of finagling and, and getting what they need, but there's also no consistency across the board. Well, and with that consistency, you know, you talk about that, that smorgasbord, I think that we can probably think about like even the differences across some of our, our state lines. So based on what you heard from teachers, what should that extended time look like? You know, how much time should they be putting in? What should they be doing during that time in the summer? Um, and Brian promised you would be able to kind of guess a little bit here if we didn't quite get that far. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do you I think? think, yeah, looking at the literature, it looks like teachers do about 50 to 55 hours a week in general on during the school time. And then outside of that, when we do a average of the year, they usually get an extended contract time of 33 days. And so if we were to combine all the states, all teachers should be getting this average of 33 days per extended contract. However, that is not the case that we see within these different states. Um, in Illinois, it's 60. And here we had teachers on zero contract. They had like 10 days or maybe they had the 30 days. And so this kind of shows that having this mod podge of contracts isn't necessarily the best. We did see that some of them are jumping schools based off that extended contract. So a teacher said that when they started, they didn't know an ex what an extended contract was. So the teacher was they were just like, we're going to have a spoken agreement of 10 days. And that was it. There was nothing on paper. And at the end of the school year, they got paid 10 extra days. Well, another teacher says that at their multi-teacher pro program, each teacher gets 30 days. And so there's 90 extra days that these three teachers have 
that other programs don't. And so it made them want to jump to a different school and that can be good for the teacher, but that's not necessarily best for the program. So when you're talking about this, and again, the same way here in Florida, these things come in all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's hourly, sometimes it's number of days, sometimes not at all, that sort of thing. And so just from some of my conversations, the, the, the perceptions about more days is different. Did you find anybody that said, no, I don't want an extended contract. <laughs> I, I'm going to come in and, and I'm good. Yeah. So less than 10% said that they disagreed that it wouldn't be beneficial to them. So um, there is a small group that says that it can cause burnout. It may require them to do more work than what they're wanting to do. Um, however, that is a small percentage of that 10%. And I think if we made it more of that average, you know, like I could see in the state of Illinois, if they have a 60 day extended contract and a normal 10 month contract, they are contracted the entire year. So there's a chance of burnout. But if we did that 33, it's not, it seems like that 33 is the sweet number. It's where you find that these teachers are still giving, getting the time off that they would like, but they're also getting paid for those 30 extra days in the summer that they are putting in. So in your, in your talk there with, with folks, any sort of sense, either from the data you got here or even, you know, Kevin from talking with the teachers and Kendra, you with talking with the teachers is the idea here that they, they want the prestige or the perception of having this extended contract, or do we just want more money for the amount of work that we're doing? I mean, is that, is that the deal? And I'm, I hate to be brash about it, but that's just, <laughs> just part, of, part of it. So what's, what's the sense that, that we're getting from here? Yeah, I don't think it's the money. I honestly think what everyone, the key word that kept sticking out was they wanted justification. They wanted that recognition of the time that they were putting in, not only from their administration, but being able to justify it to their families. You know, they were all like, we're going to do the work anyway. That's what all ag teachers say. They're like, we are going to do the work, whether we're getting paid or not. However, if they're not getting paid, it doesn't, they don't feel like the school appreciates them as much and maybe they're not recognized as much for what they're doing. And uh, Dr. Curry said it really well the other day, comparing it to a doctor, if you want to share that example. Uh, you remember it? it? It's fleeting. No, you got to remind me what I said. Oh, it was so good. He was like, you know, um, being an ag teacher is like any profession. If I was a doctor and I had to go in on a Saturday and do a procedure, you'd be paid for that. And no one would be like, oh, no, like that's not during your scheduled time. So we're not going to pay you for that heart surgery. And so it's kind of that same thing of just being recognized for that time. It's professionalism, I guess. Like if you are going to ask an employee to do 30 extra days a summer to complete that three circle model that all of us are supposed to meet, you should be recognized for that time, just like a doctor would. And I, I think that's the example, the, yeah. the wisdom that comes out of Dr. Curry, they're, they're just so lucky that you can't keep it all straight. I mean, it's like, which of the 4,000 things that I have said in the last week was really impactful <laughs> when you're coming from? I mean, because really there is no off position on the genius switch with Dr. Kevin Curry. And so that's, that's what goes on there. I, I think Brian, to tie it to your last question, uh, <laughs> I have seen, and I've, I've heard, I've heard that in a bus at ag teachers conference. I, I just don't want an ag teacher. I don't want an extended contract because that's when I farm. That's when I want to be with my family. You know, that's when I want three months off. I, I've heard that sentiment. Um, and I know I've said to my teacher education students, like to, to Kendra's point, 
you're, you're going to do that work anyhow. You're going to be going to state convention. You're going to be going to SAE visits. You're going to be getting mums ready in the greenhouse and getting the barn ready for calves in the fall, whatever. You're going to be doing that work anyway. So you might as well be paid for it. I, I think where it was a light bulb moment for me was whenever we look at the differences based on years of experience, I just assume, because, and I'll speak for myself, I, I didn't look at what they paid me when I took my first job. I didn't look at how many extended days that I had. I was just, did they, were they going to give me a job was my first and only concern. And I was going to let the rest come out in the wash. I was just a naive young ag teacher. I didn't think about that kind of stuff. What we found was that the younger teachers were actually the ones, and maybe there's some social desirability here, but they were the ones that said, hey, there's more benefit to this as a young professional for me to get this extended contract than our older teachers did, which completely turned me for a loop. I just assumed it would be the opposite, that the older teachers would be the ones saying, hey, we've paid our dues. We know what this is about. We're going to demand that extended contract time. We, we kind of saw the opposite, that there was a, a, a stronger desirability to have that, a stronger perception of the benefit with the younger teachers. And so for me, I, I haven't solved that equation yet. I just assumed it would be the opposite. And for that matter, the, the gender discrepancy as well, we found that the females were actually more likely to be on the extended contract, which if you look at all of the data that we have in our profession around you know, work-life balance and, and sort of commitment to sort of the center of the family, you would assume and think that it would be the males that would be having more of the extended contract time. And that was not the case with our sample. And this is just one state and this is a small sample. But again, two pieces of that that I we that just raises more questions um, than we currently have answers for right now. Yeah, that, that uh, those couple really blew me away when I was uh, re reading the paper. The fact that, uh, particularly on the gender side, that uh, women were more likely to have extended contracts than males, and I I wouldn't have expected that at all. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of continue to unpack that and hypothesize a little bit about what that really means. Yeah, I agree. Those were two things that we weren't expecting to find, especially that gender piece. But like looking at the years of experience, the more I think about it as a young teacher, if I were to go into it right now, because that's what would happen to me. They spend so much time in those first two to three years, I feel, in the classroom. I was always told during student teaching, like those first three years are key because you're going to be at the school longer than you would when you're older because you've got to build that curriculum. You've got to build the classroom structure that you want. And so that's one of the ways that I think that maybe these younger teachers did say they need the extended contract more than the ones that were older. So maybe they are just at the school longer as they're trying to build up their classroom. Yeah, for sure. So I'm thinking about this from a practicality standpoint. How do we, how do we help our ag teachers? I, I remember uh, having this conversation and struggling with how to define an extended contract and if it's days, how many hours and all of those kind of things. And I didn't find any help within the district or even for my colleagues because it was all over the board. And ultimately, I think I finally got frustrated to the point. It's like, okay, I have to define this for myself and I'll share my definition with my administration. And surprisingly, they're like, oh, okay, we'll go that way. And it was so, but there was some frustration thinking that you didn't have administration and administrators or anyone that could really help you kind of define and, and um, differentiate what that really means. So at, from the work that you've done, any best practices or kind of rules of thumbs that you could share with um, the, the teachers on extended contracts? Yeah, we have already started trying to apply this to the teachers in Pennsylvania. And so first you hit it right on the head. 
we need to be educating administrators on what an extended contract is, why it's important, and how it's being used. And so we looked at different examples of other states of how they kind of justify this extended contract. And we are working with PAAE to develop a list that has all the events that happen during the school year and how many hours each of those events roughly takes. And then having PAA kind of approve it, put a stamp on it and say, hey, this is a list of events that our teachers are encouraged to go to. This is how many hours they're putting towards those events. No, they're not going to do every single event, but these are the ones that we recommend and we push for them to attend and then have them log all those hours that they're doing. And AET makes it even easier now for them to log those hours and attach that to that sheet. And the sheet would say, like, this is what an extended contract is. Here's the definition of it. Here's a three circle model that can't be completed just in the classroom. Here's all the events of completing that circle model. And then you can present that to your administration because we're not gonna be able to get every state on board to do a mandate right now. That's, that's not feasible. But if we can educate the teachers and give them the tools and resources to kind of defend themselves and present to the administrators, true research that says like, I'm gonna be doing 50 hours a week, whether you pay me or not. I'm gonna be doing roughly 33 days in the summer, whether you pay me or not. And so here's the events, the state has approved it. They have stamped it and they say that this is true. Can you please help me and fund this extended contract? And I want to give kudos to Kendra because she's done a lot of work uh, in helping define this document. It's literally, we're, we're going through that in our Ag Teachers Conference this summer to sort of try to push it through to fruition and get it in, in use. Um, in addition to that document, which sort of lends sort of state credibility, right? Like there's, it's not just me making that on an Excel sheet as an Ag teacher and giving it to my administrator with a lot of pie in the sky type numbers. Like this is something we're all sharing. Um, I've always recommended to our teachers to send that letter in your calendar to your administrator on May the 15th before summer lets out. It's here's my calendar of events all the way through the summer. Here's a letter justifying my time, whether or not you're paid on it or not. It's just sort of like a FYI administrator, superintendent, principal, like I'm putting in this work. It's not a flex. It's not a you're not doing something that's sort of out of bounds. It's a professional courtesy to say, hey. I'm, I'm doing this work and it's for the benefit of my students. I, I always did that. I was told to do that as a, a first year teacher. And I continue that uh, throughout my career. And I think it was really powerful because it allowed my administrator to see that, oh yeah, why am I paying only one dude in the entire building besides my principal a 12 month contract? That, that makes no sense. Like, oh, okay. I see that now because he's, he's doing this work. And so if you don't have a Kendra flood in your state to make this really great document that sort of outlines what all the state is doing, every teacher can do that. Every ag teacher can develop a calendar and a brief letter to their administrator to say, hey, here's my time during the summer, whether you're being paid or not, because it helps justify your time. Can I ask you to talk a little bit more about the whether I'm paid or not and kind of that balance so we don't get caught in this cycle of, well, I'll put in the hours and eventually I'll get compensated for them. How do we also help teachers kind of with that balance of, you know, there's, I'm, I'm hired to do a job. I love, I like my job. I want to continue to do well at this. How do we not perpetuate a cycle of burnout when we're thinking about putting the hours so you can show that you've done the work. So eventually you can get paid for the work. <laughs> what's, what's the balance there? Yeah. So that's something I've always been very fearful of um, just coming in when I was doing student teaching and talking with people at IAVIT since I was from Illinois saying that these teachers are getting burnt out. And 
what they recommended to us was looking at that list of recommended events and recognizing they are recommended events and you're not supposed to do every single CDE. And so on this sheet that we're making right now, there isn't a spot for more than 10 CDEs. There's literally 10 blocks. And once you fill that 10, you know, you can go farther if you want, but at some extent, if you want to be great at something, you can't be dipping your toes in everything. You've got to really commit to that. And, and that'll help shape your kids better too. You know, if you're doing 10 CDEs, that's still a lot. That's, that's still a lot. But if you have them doing something every single week, you're going to burn out your students as well. So if you have to imagine your workload on one of your students, um, that might change your perspective a little bit and recognizing, again, I cannot stress it enough. These are recommended. You know, if you attend so many of these, that makes you a great teacher. And if you make a really great Parley Pro team, that makes you a great teacher. You know, just letting those students pick and choose a few things um, that allows you to not burn out and as well as your students. And I even sort of relate it back to any in business, like a salary negotiation, right? Like you, you've got to show your worth and sort of hold your stance where um, your values are. And, you know, if you're an ag teacher and you haven't been paid an extended contract in five years, and it's always like, we're going to promise, we're going to promise, we're going to promise. At some point, it, it does become a, uh, a thing where you have to, if you're not being recognized and valued for the work that you have, um, I, I think it's okay to professionally say there's, there's other opportunities for me to, to, to give to my students in the way that I need to be and be compensated for it. And I don't think there's any shame in that game of saying, hey, I'm, I'm a professional doing this job and I'm not being paid what I'm worth. Um, that, that is the definition of being a professional in a profession is that you are paid and you are valued for the work that you can, you contribute. And too often in education, we're abused for that because it's always for the students. And we don't remember that, well, if you're not paid, you can't do it for the students, right? Like you have to be paid for the work that you're doing. So I don't think there's any shame in, in, in leveraging that to your administration and your superintendent that I'm worth this. One of the things you were talking about the earlier Get, I had a flashback back to the old days, back when I got paid in shells and shiny beads. That's how long ago when I was teaching. Um, and, and the importance of communication, you talked about that letter, Kevin. And I remembered, I saw that letter and, and Mike right, we might remember this too, but I'm nobody else on this call will. LPS actually put out, I think they call it the beginning, or not the beginning, the Ag Teacher's Handbook. And there was just a, Back when I got it, it was a, a bunch of papers on there and there were sample letters in there about how to write letters every at the end of the spring to say, dear principal, just so you know, here's where I will be during the summer. Um, and whether or not you're, you know, just to, and part of it was just to say, hey, you're doing school business. You may be traveling to convention or you may be traveling here because you never want to surprise your principal about anything. But again, it, the, the big thing there was about communication. Because so many ag teachers, we've talked about this before, is where um, all the extra time they put in as a badge of honor, but yet never communicate about what they're doing. And they're like, I can't believe my principal doesn't, doesn't recognize, doesn't appreciate what I'm doing. Like, well, they don't know because you never tell them. Mm -hmm. And being an ag teacher is a hard job, but being a principal is a hard job too, trying to keep track of the 43 gazillion things that are going on. And then we're about selling tickets at the basketball game. And so you got to communicate with that administration to let them know, because they may have no idea what it takes to maintain your greenhouse or your livestock facility or what convention's all about. 
um, that sort of thing. And so I think it's important to communicate. And that's the big thing I'm hearing you guys tell us as well is to get to that compensation, we have to document, not brag, not poor mouth, but just document and communicate what, what we're doing with them. And those are some great suggestions. You keep your flashlight under a blanket. You can't cry that no one else can see it on the outside, right? Like you got to yeah. share see, your... one, one more of those words of wisdom <laughs> that, that Kevin Curry always lays on us. And that I think is a great way to end this podcast. We will make sure our flashlight is not under the blanket um, to, to shine this out there. Uh, Kendra, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. I really hope that ag teachers see this, start communicating better with their and understanding about how, to, how this, these extended contracts and compensation can take a lot of different forms. We have things called FFA stipends and then extended days. And so they come in different ways to do, to do different things. But I think it's important for us to be thinking about this. The other thing is, I think for any administrators that are listening to this, or we need to share this with our administrators, help them understand what's going on so that they can better uh, understand and compensate our ag teachers for all the great work that they are doing. So Kendra Flood, Kevin Curry, thank you so much for being with us today here on Owl Pellets. Thank you. Thank for you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.